John chapter 6. We've been in John chapter 6 for um, several weeks now. We took a break uh, when we had our Easter service, obviously. And so, Lord willing, we'll finish up chapter 6 tonight. It's starting with verse 60. And um, when you get there, let's just read that this evening, the whole thing through verse 71. Uh, so we can see what God has for us in this text. So John chapter 6, starting at verse 60. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father." From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. I've entitled the teaching tonight, Disciple Defined. Disciple Defined. And there's a reason for that, because we see the word disciple being used in this text. We know what disciple means to us today, and what we see in the text could, could also be confusing to us. Because we would see someone as a disciple that is leaving and walking with him no more. That's, that's disturbing. It just doesn't make sense to us by what we know a disciple to be. Well, then we might want to look at what the definition of disciple is. We see in verse 60 it says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? So what they're asking him about is what we looked at last week, what Jesus was teaching about in regards to his flesh and his blood, where he said, in order to come to me, in order to be a part of me, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And that's what they're referring to here. It's, it's a hard saying. Who can understand it? So first of all, what is a disciple? Because it says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, the Greek word for disciple is mathetes, and it's actually a form of the word math, if you break it up. It's interesting. And so during that day that there, there were a lot of philosophers, there were a lot of teachers throughout you know, all of the known world, and so there, there would be these people that would be followers of their teaching. They would be followers of a certain philosopher or a, a certain... Uh, someone that might teach anything, really. Uh, you know, someone who teaches um, 
math, science of the day, philosophers again, but also even something like fishing. Maybe there was a particular way that you are to fish, and this one guy has packaged it, he's marketed it, and said, well, this is the way to fish, you know. Maybe he was the original Romco guy, you know, that if they had had infomercials, you know, at that time, he would have been there saying, well, this is what you do, this is the technique that you use in order to assure that you catch more fish. So there might be some of those that followed his teaching when it came to fishing. So you can be a disciple of just about anything. Uh, I've shared with you before that I am a disciple in some ways of golf because I, I like to play golf and there are guys that influence me and teach me on how to play golf. Um, either they're not very good teachers or I'm not a very good student, you know, one or the other probably the latter, but I can be a disciple of that. Uh, just, the list goes on and on of what you could be a disciple of. But in this context, obviously, we're talking about what? Disciples of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ. The definition for disciple is one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. Makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, a follower or a student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. So um, any of you that have been in college uh, recently, for those of us that did college years ago, we've forgotten most of what we knew, but recently if you've been to college, there might be a certain professor on campus that promotes a certain philosophy or doctrine or whatever, and you follow that. You know, you like what he has to say. You like what it is that he's teaching or not. But if you're following that, you could be labeled as a disciple of that particular person. So it's, it's a follower of. So what has happened up to this point? Why do these people follow? Why are they be call, being called disciples of Jesus? Well, we know that in John chapter 2, Jesus changed the water into wine. We know from John chapter 2, verse 23, that he did other signs signs that we don't know about. They're not documented for us. Uh, the healing of the nobleman's son in John chapter 4. Healing the crippled man at the pools of Bethesda in John chapter 5. The healing of the diseased in John chapter 6 verse 2, the beginning of this chapter that we've been looking at. We saw the feeding of, of the over 5,000 people in John chapter 6. We also saw Jesus walking on water. So they're following not just the miracles but also his teaching. They followed mostly because of his works, though, not because of his words. And we're going to see in our text tonight that some continued to follow, and some didn't. This verse says that it was hard to understand. Now, if you look at other translations, that's the New King James Version translation, uh, you can maybe get a better understanding of what that is. It's saying that it's not just hard to understand, it's, it's hard to hear, it's hard to listen to, it's hard to accept. Uh, maybe you're familiar or maybe not with the PJFT translation, which is the Pastor Jim Free translation. And that is, it's hard to swallow, it's hard to stomach this is what he's saying. So it's not a matter of understanding they were understanding, they just weren't accepting what it is that he was trying to teach. So it was the things that he said that they did understand, 
that were hard to accept or believe because Jesus, he claimed to be greater than Moses. He claimed to come from heaven. He claimed to be from God. He claimed to be God. And on top of all that, he's saying, this is what you must do in order to be saved, to be in right relationship with the Father, to be in right relationship with God. You must eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, and you will live eternally, forever. Now sometimes the truth can come with a degree of shock value, can't it? It's hard to believe, it's hard to accept. Have you, any of you, ever said anything that you knew to be the truth, but yet people were offended by what you were saying? It happens, doesn't it? But that's the time that you prove what you really believe. If you really believe it, you can stand behind it and know it to be truth. You share the truth regardless of the consequences. Uh, you know, I, I've gone here before, but it's like, let's say that you're one that believes Bigfoot is real. You guys have heard me mention, I'm fascinated if you haven't noticed by the whole Bigfoot thing. Not necessarily because I believe it. I guess there's a part of me that kind of wants it to be true, you know, because the guys that promote it look like idiots most of the time. I kind of feel sorry for them, you know. But yet I watch the show, Finding Bigfoot. They have never found Bigfoot. I don't know why the show gets renewed season after season, because they, they never find nothing. They go out in the woods and they make grunt noises, and they just do stupid things, hoping Bigfoot would respond, you know. And he doesn't. But think of the shock value of if he actually did. That would just be phenomenal, wouldn't it? It would be great, it would be exciting, but there would still be people that wouldn't believe it. They would still think it's a hoax of some sort, because it probably is. But in summary here, I think these disciples, they understood completely what Jesus said. They just didn't like what they were hearing. So they did what most of us would expect. They started what? They started murmuring and complaining to one another about it. We see in verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? I love that Jesus is able to do that. That he perceives what they're actually saying or talking about. And he can just come right back at them with something kind of hit them right between the eyes of where they are. Does this offend you? He says, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Now, that statement was also offensive to them because they're just not buying into what he's saying anyway. Uh, because up to this point, we saw last week, Jesus is referring to his coming down from heaven. He said that seven times in that passage we saw. Now here he mentions his going up. He's saying, you have a problem with my descending? Well, what if you were to see me ascending? Would, would that convince you? If all of this has offended you, what will you think when you see me in glory and you have to answer to me in judgment? <laughs> Better to be offended now and get over it than to be offended then. Amen? Amen. Verse 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So the, the spirit gives life 
the flesh profits nothing. We know that Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in, in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Now would we all here tonight be in agreement with what Paul's saying there? In me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And if you look, it's, it's really interesting that if you look at the Greek word for nothing, you know what it means? Nothing. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's amazing. It means nothing good dwells. So Jesus has been continually teaching that they, that we, should have no confidence in the flesh. Don't fl focus on the fleshly, physical things, but rather focus on the spiritual things of the Spirit. Now we looked at that in depth last week as well, because we were looking at the two terms that you've heard me mention before, physical sustenance and spiritual sustenance. Jesus was teaching in the spiritual, and they were looking at what? The physical. So it was hard for them to accept. Jesus wasn't saying, making a cannibalism statement here, eat of my body and drink of my blood. That wasn't what he was getting at. What he was saying was, spiritually, you need to partake of me in order to be a part of me. So, Jesus is saying don't focus on these fleshly physical things but rather focus on the spiritual things of the spirit so if you want life if you want everlasting life he's saying believe in trust in have confidence in the things of the spirit Romans 8 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who what they don't walk according to the flesh but they walk according to the spirit and we can remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's, it's just a very simple message, really. Hear my word and believe in him who sent me. And you will have eternal life, you will not be judged, and you will pass from death to life. Now remember all those promises that we looked at last week in chapter 6, that those who believe will never hunger or thirst. They will by no means be cast out. They will be raised up at the last day. They will have everlasting life. They will eat of it and not die, this very thing that he was talking about. They will live forever. They have eternal life. They abide in me. I will abide in them. They'll live forever. So all of these promises that we saw last week available for those who will believe. Remember, we've talked about there's only two types of people, right? Saved and unsaved. Those who believe, those who do not believe. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. So God is playing a part in this whole salvation picture, isn't he? God knows who's going to come to him. He knows that. He's sovereign. He is aware of that. God knows 
who is going to respond to his love. He initiated the love towards us. So God knows who's going to respond. So that's where you can get into this whole discussion, argument of Calvinism and Arminianism. We're not going to go there tonight. What we're going to leave it at is this. God expresses his love to us. He initiates that love. He pours out his love upon us. And then we respond, don't we, in one way or the other. We respond back to that love or we reject it. And this text is saying God knows who's going to respond and who's going to reject. But it still requires an action on our part, doesn't it? We need to respond to that love. I like to look at the word respond more so than I do choice. Because God initiated the love and he expects us to respond to it. And we do in one way or the other. We either believe or we don't believe. Amen? So there's no need in really making that any more complicated as I believe extreme Calvinists and extreme Arminianists have done that very thing. So you might be asking, what are those two things? Don't worry about it. Just <laughs> you can Google it, take a look at it, but remember, keep it simple. Just look at it simply is that God loves you, God's pouring out his love to you, making that love available to you. He loves you. And you have the choice of whether or not you're going to respond to it, right? So responding positively is a good thing. So we see this crowd, these very disciples, these followers who were following but not believing, they were following for fleshly reasons. The what's in it for me attitude. You run across people like that today, don't you? Even in churches. You can invite someone to church and they say, well, you know, basically what they're saying, whatever their response is, is what's in it for me? And it's just the wrong attitude, isn't it? It's not about what you can get, but what you can give. That's where we need to be. That's the attitude that we need to have. Ever notice how the words selfishly and fleshly contain the same letters except for one? I. Add the I to fleshly, and this will get you, I had to look it up in the dictionary because I didn't know whether it was a word or not. I love it when that happens because, you know, if I think I'm making up a word and I actually find it in the dictionary, I'm like, yes, I must have heard that somewhere in my life. But if you add I to fleshly, you get selfishly and fleshly. Fleshly. Fleshly is actually a word, but they take on the same meaning at that point. So these disciples, they were all from the um, what-can-I-get tribe? What-can-I-get? You ever hear the what-can-I-get tribe? What-can-I-get tribe? Yeah, I got a note here. Might not go over well, but, you know, I try. I try. I know Megan will laugh. So, uh, so they're following for personal gain only. Uh, they're believing only in his works, not believing in his words, Think about it this way. They have come along with him following, but they have not come to him believing. They have come along with him following. They have just not come to him believing. They were not granted to him by the Father because they would not believe. Verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. 
So what they really wanted, he would not give. They wanted this everlasting supply of physical bread because they brought up Moses and how Moses gave them manna from heaven every day. And Jesus pointed out, that wasn't Moses, it was my father. It was God that gave you that manna. And now I am here as living manna for you. And he offers that and they wouldn't receive it. They didn't seem to have interest in everlasting life through this spiritual bread, the, the manna come down from heaven, which is Jesus Christ. So we see in the text that once Jesus had effectively discouraged every, every fleshly motive for them following him, many of them stopped following him. Their, their motivation was gone. Now something else here, I don't want to make too much of this, um, get too carried away with it, but I do find it, it's interesting that this verse mentions a group of people, disciples, who what? Walked with him no more. Now, if Bob Dylan's lyrics were true when he said, you're going to have to serve somebody, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You know, that's how Bob would lay it out there, right? You're going to have to serve. <laughs> he, he was a lyrical genius. Uh, he just wasn't all, uh, you know, vocally, I don't know, he just wasn't that impressive, really. I mean, it was, he did all right, mind you. I mean, he did just fine. And then Tom Petty came along, you know, and they, you can't understand what either one of them are saying when they sing, but let's get back to the Lord and not Bob Dylan and Tom Petty. You are following somebody. If it's not the Lord, well, then there's only one other to follow, Right? Jesus said, he who is with me, he who is not with me is against me. So it's either one or the other. You're either with Jesus or you're not. You're either saved or unsaved. You're either a believer or not a believer. So people have been, uh, are, or will be one or the other. Listen to what the book of Revelation has to say about those who are not with Jesus, that are following another this false prophet we see in Revelation 13. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is... Six, six, six. Now here's the interesting part. I'm just throwing this out there. Where are we in our text? John chapter 6, verse 66. Ironic? Prophetic? I'm, I'm not sure. I, like I said, I don't want to make too much of it. I probably already have too much, but there's just something interesting in that to ponder. They no longer followed him. There's going to be this group of people in the tribulation that don't follow Jesus that are going to end up taking that mark of the beast. So at least we can make that connection, that people group that we see here in verse 66 and the people group that we see there are the same group, those that are rejecting Jesus. Verse 67, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? He's saying, okay, 
12 disciples, it's decision time. Do you believe? Will you follow me? Now we know that the 12 disciples didn't understand everything that was going on either. So what was different about them though? What, was, what separated these 12 from those one who left and walked with him no more? They did believe. They believed. So they chose to follow. We see that from Peter's response uh, in, starting in verse 68. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter and the rest of the gang, they're excited about the works that Jesus was doing, no doubt. But I believe they were also converted and committed by the words that Jesus said. They were believing what he said. They were believing in him. So conversion and commitment should never be based upon signs and miracles and entertainment and and hype. We see that happen, unfortunately, in a lot of churches today, that that seems to be the focus rather than the Word of God. Some people will even say, well, we don't want to study the Bible that much or that in depth. We, we just want to move in the Spirit. I personally don't think you can get any more of a Spirit-filled service than when you are reading and studying the words of Jesus Himself. That's Spirit-filled. Look again at verse 63. It says, the words that I speak to you are what? They are Spirit and they are life. In Jesus, when he had that dialogue with the woman at the well, what did he say about worship? They will worship me how? In spirit and in truth. You're not worshiping anyone in the spirit if it's not truth. Amen? It has to be based on truth. If it is, well then, okay. It can can be a little more wide open. It can be a little more freer. We can proclaim the Word of God. You know, most of the worship songs that we sing are taken from Scripture. What better way to express ourselves in the Spirit than singing the very words of the Savior back to Him? I know He's blessed with that. Lord, we hold Your Word in high regard ourselves so much so that we're going to sing those very words back to You because of what they mean to us. So the words of Jesus are spirit and life. We can't truly know Jesus without knowing what he has said and following it, walking it out. Certainly we're encouraged to walk in the spirit, but it does say walk, not run. (laughs) David writes in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We're all familiar with that verse, right? How many of you have ever gone hiking or just took a walk in the dark? Most of us, right? And to have a light is a good thing, right? It's good to have a light with you. Uh, It is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. So you're taking a walk in the dark. You have this lamp to light your path. And let's say it's a a lantern even. Uh, Younger people, you know what a lantern is, I hope, It's not just a battery-operated thing. You have to actually light it to get it to to burn. That's the whole, give me oil in my lamp, keep it burning, burning, burning. You you remember that song? 
No? Well, forget it then. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so you've got this lamp. Can you imagine running down a dark path with a lamp? This lamp is, you know, you just can't keep it straight. So it's not going to illuminate the path that you need to be on correctly. And if you're hiking in the mountains and you try that, that could be disastrous, couldn't it? Because you're not staying on the path. You're not letting the light do its job in illuminating the path for you so you have something to follow. So you could lose sight of the path. You could lose your direction. You could run into harm rather than going into uh, traveling in safety, right? It's just not a good idea to run in the dark without being focused on the light and the path that it illuminates. The words of Jesus are that light. He is that light. The words of Jesus, God's word, the word that all of us hold in our hand tonight, it illuminates the path. It gives us direction. It helps to lead us where he wants us to go. And on that path, we gain wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So Peter is asking, Lord, where else would we go? We seek eternal life, and you and your words are the only thing that we believe that will lead us there. Because we believe. You are who you say you are. We believe that. So if we truly believe, like Peter, we will want to be with the one who has the words of eternal life. We know that to be Jesus Christ. But look at the text again. It says what? We believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe and know. We believe you've confirmed it in us, Lord. Well, how? Well, hold your place in John chapter 6 and flip over to 1 John. Go to the maps and come back like three books. You'll be pretty close. 1 John chapter 1 and the first four verses of that chapter. And I've referenced these four verses quite often as we've gone through our study of John. The author is the same. It's the Apostle John. And he's writing of this experience between he, the disciples, and the Lord Jesus Christ when he was walking with them. Verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. John is saying here, we were first-hand witnesses of the Word and the work. They saw the miracles, they saw the work that Jesus was doing, but they also sat with Him intimately underneath His teaching. He was teaching them the whole time. Now there were the other disciples, those others that were following. Some of those, yeah, they weren't so interested in the teaching part. They wanted to see signs, they wanted to see miracles, they wanted bread, <laughs> they wanted to be fed, they liked the free uh, banquet that was available by following uh, Jesus. But we also see in this text that Peter is 
he's taken upon the role of spokesperson for the group, hasn't he? <laughs> he? He's saying we believe and we know. He's assuming that he's speaking for the gang, the rest of the gang, the rest of the guys there, right? But Jesus answered and said to him, Did I not choose you the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus is saying, hey Peter, I chose each one of you. And Peter, you're making this statement with the assumption that all of you guys believe the way that you do. Again, in verse 69, Peter says, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We, all of us, Lord, we believe and know we do, Lord. And Jesus is responding to Peter and the gang, do you? Do all of you believe and know? There is one among you whom I chose to follow me, and he is a devil. Now, that statement just kind of hangs, doesn't it? Because Jesus doesn't give any further explanation about that. He doesn't elaborate on what he just said. He just kind of leaves that one hanging out there. And I think this would have caused some angst amongst the boys, don't you? Maybe, you know, a quick glance at each of them, you know, the guy sitting next to them. Hmm, one of these guys is a devil. I wonder which one. He's kind of got shifty eyes. He doesn't really fit in. He's got a smirk. His ears kind of come to a point. <laughs> I just threw that one in. I don't know that they had pointy ears, but... <laughs> So why doesn't, here in this text, why doesn't Jesus just reveal Judas to the twelve and get rid of him right now? Why not get rid of the problem? Why? Why not? Prophecy. Jesus fulfilled all prophecy about himself. Jesus does in this text, however, he does give Judas an out, doesn't he? He does ask the twelve in verse 67, what? Do you also want to go away? It's an opportunity for Judas to leave right then, but he doesn't. Why? Because prophecy, Scripture, had to be fulfilled according to the plan, according to the timing, the will of God for salvation, for those who believe. When did Jesus finally call out Judas? It was at the Last Supper, wasn't it? At the breaking of bread, prophecy fulfilled regarding Jesus and Judas. We see in Psalm 41, verse 9, it says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Prophecy concerning what Judas would do in betraying Jesus. Prophecy that had to be fulfilled so that we would have hope of eternal life with Jesus. We're going to get the opportunity as we move through the book of John to continually watch Judas, things that come up. Jesus' response to him and the rest of the disciples. We're going to have front row seats as we go through the book of John on this interaction between Jesus and his disciples and other disciples 
others of those that will follow him, others of those that will follow him to the end as well. And we're going to get to see that. But he says, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. We saw that scene at the Last Supper. We saw what took place there. We saw the betrayer get up and leave the table from the rest of the disciples. We come to the communion table tonight. We come to partake of his broken body and his shed blood symbolically. We talked about that last week where the Catholic Church, a lot of the Catholic Church, I won't say it's true clear across the board, believe that the bread and the juice actually become the body and the blood of Jesus so that they're actually partaking of that. And it's just not true. It's symbolic of his broken body and his shed blood. So we come to partake of that tonight in remembrance of what he did for us, for what he still continues to do for us because of his love and his grace and his mercy for each one of us. Where else can we go? Because as Peter said, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. You and only you offer that to us. Amen?